Hello, everyone. But especially, hi. Hello, Eric. Yes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Podcasting Guild. Today is the day after Christmas that we're recording. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas, yeah. everyone. You'll get this probably after New Year's, but Merry Christmas. Probably. <laughs> Yeah, we're still figuring out the timing Look, bits of these. This we this isn't our day job. We're amateurs. We'll get it figured out. We'll get it figured out. How does time work? We <laughs> don't know yet, but we will. Yes. Effectively we're coming at you from the past. Welcome time travelers. That's true. But you know, all sensory information technically is coming to you from the past, Eric. Oh now you gotta bring your physics degree into this. Physics, Jeez. philosophy. <laughs> Yeah, and the, and the farther away it is, at least if you're, well, I don't know, yeah, the farther away it is, the more in the past you're getting that information. Yep, very true. That's one of the nice things about science fiction. It allows us to imagine we can actually travel to other places where in reality that might not be the case. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, when I, when I tell you you have an ugly mug, Eric, that was the old Andrew, all right? That was the, that was in the past. That's not the present. You need to be, live in the present. All right. <laughs> Living in the present. That we are. And on that nice segue. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> Episode 7, The War Prayer. The War Prayer. Speaking of snow, there's a lot of snow outside. Oh, it's winter wonderland. Yeah, no, well, we live in the Pacific Northwest and we get maybe maybe half an inch of snow one day per year is pretty average. And there's about six inches out right now, which is nuts. I'm from Wisconsin, so I grew up with snow like this. But we're not really equipped for it out here. Although we did buy a snow shovel last winter, so we can at least <laughs> shovel the driveway. But I have to say, I moved out here specifically and explicitly so that I wouldn't have to shovel snow anymore. <laughs> so I feel a bit betrayed personally. Well, you don't have to worry too much about that because it'll probably be gone in a couple days. Well, try a week. It's supposed to be quite cold all week. What are you talking about? Seattle's single snowplow will be down there in no time. Yeah, okay. I know. What about my gravel driveway, Eric? I bought this snow shovel and I have a gravel <laughs> driveway. <laughs> what a pain. Ay, ay, ay. Anyway, but it is gorgeous, and my dog loves it. It's uh, his first snow, isn't it? Oh, yeah. This is the first snow. We got him in May. He's from Texas. Yeah, he has never <laughs> seen snow before. He's all about it. He's freaking out. Great fun. Great fun. Yeah, I bet he loves it. I'm exhausted. That's about, you know, my thighs are burning, <laughs> running running through snow, walk, trudging uphill through snow. It's, uh, yeah, it's exhausting. So yeah. let's talk about... Let's talk about this episode. This was... Let's jump right in. I think I misspoke the episode number. This is season one, episode eight, The War Prayer. This was a, a real... This had all the players. Everybody had a little bit to say yep. in this episode. Yeah, even Koch, the Koch brother, brothers, even Ambassador Koth. What's his name? <laughs> Koth. Kosh. Kosh. No, it's not that. I'm pretty sure. It's, I think it's cough or cough. Okay, Ambassador Kush. Yeah, no, everyone, everyone made an appearance in this. I felt like they were like, we need to remind people who the main cast and crew is. No, 
this was a good one. I enjoyed this episode. Mm-hmm. You know, they defeated space fas- fascists, which seems, yep. you know, especially prescient for the, you know, the times we live in. It's nice to see yeah. some fascists get get got. Yeah, you you might find um that a lot of this series is kind of prescient for the times we live in oh. going forwards. Well, Space fascists yeah, totally. may be defeated now, but they'll return in the future. I bet they will. I bet they will. Well, you know, you've you've often contrasted this show to Star Trek because mm-hmm. Star Trek is so, you know, utopian. They're Very like, oh, so. yeah, we long ago dealt with our fascists. And Babylon yeah. 5 is like, no, they're here stabbing people right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's probably the reality of humanity, right? We're always going to have issues with this. And it's a matter of how we address it going forwards that I think will determine whether we actually make it that far into space. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think it will be a, a recurring issue, you know, because there's always going to be, you know, seductive ideas that sort yeah. of demonize the others and, and lionize, you know, whatever. Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. It's like part of human nature that the fact that we find certain things easy to agree with is always going to lead to people using those things to for nefarious fascist purposes <laughs> yeah and i think we just have to figure out how to best control those tendencies going forwards totally but this episode has that conversation or begins that conversation and really it hits home because you know you see with ivanova and her relationship here that it can be someone close to you and i think all of us at some point or another have dealt with someone who is maybe not fascist but perhaps heading down that road and how do we contend with that going forward? So I think it's an interesting dialogue that happens in this episode and kind of begins that conversation, a conversation that will last for a good number of episodes and throughout actually multiple seasons in this series. That is interesting. Yeah. I thought this was a pretty good episode. I enjoyed it. I didn't think it had any huge weak spots. No blatant plot holes for me to laugh at. Not that I clocked anyway. It opens up with Ambassador Delane and her gal pal chit-chatting, having some like gossip girl in space, and I I couldn't follow it. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I'd been running out in the snow all day. I'd had a couple beers. It was too. <laughs> they they use this sort of very imperial like flowery language, I think, to sort of show how well educated and whatever they are, but. I was just like, what, what is anybody talking about in the scene? So I got the, I got the vibe that they were friends and they were kind of joking around and there was probably some right. building there, but I'm going to be real with you, Eric. I couldn't follow it. Well, I think they were definitely setting the groundwork because like with Shao Mayan, who is a friend of Delenn, she's a poet, right? So they have to make her sound like a poet. And yeah, I mean, the, the dialogue they had wasn't overly important. It was just them reminiscing and discussing their past mm. and giving you little tidbits of Mimbari culture totally. as part of that. So things that aren't necessarily critical to the narrative per se, but interesting things to dig into if you want to go into that. Yeah, fair enough. But, you know, we, we also have like singers who don't sound like flowery aristocrats, but <laughs> I take your point. 
But anyway, then the, the the real important bit happens next, which that her friend gets hate crimed. She gets right. stabbed and branded. Holy shit. What? Yeah, yeah. It's straight up branded on her forehead. And then the ambassadors all get a bee in their bonnet. Delane is, of course, furious, which fair enough. Close personal friend. Very angry. You know, blame Sinclair. But no one seems to blame him. Well, I guess they're kind of blaming him because he's in charge. They keep asking where the right. suspects, but they're also really blaming him because he's a human and they're assuming that the attacker, well, correctly, it turns out that the attackers are human, but. Right. And then Jakar was also very angry. And it seemed like Jakar was just having, just saw something he could use to rile people up about. I don't know. Jakar didn't really know that lady. <laughs> and you know yeah well he threatens that if anything should happen to a narn that there would be violent retribution for yeah that. bloody retribution which again dude you are an ambassador <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing yeah garibaldi you know has a heart of ice in that scene <laughs> where he and ivanova uh, we're trying to decide who who should do the bitch work, who should do the, the <laughs> task nobody wants. Yeah. And he's straight up like, Oh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna kill your coffee plants. <laughs> it's like wow. That was a good uh, Yeah, that, that was, was a good moment. That was a good one. <laughs> he's just he's not afraid to use he uses anti munition even for just like I get that he was busy. But still, it was a minor inconvenience. It was 10 minutes out of his day. And he was like, no. Yeah. No. I'm going to threaten to kill her plants. <laughs> yep. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I like every scene with Garibaldi in it, to be honest. Yeah. I really I like think Garibaldi. this was this was a Garibaldi, not quite a Garibaldi-centric episode, but he plays a, a pivotal role in this episode. He does. He does. Well, he runs around again without much effect he runs around with it with a gaggle of security in this episode but so anyway the task that they were i don't know the b plot wasn't that great i have to be real it was okay it was sort of the power of young love b plot which fine all right in space <laughs> and so the the task that garibaldi and Ivanova were fighting over not having to do was collect these two i don't know what to, fugitives basically right centauri fugitives centauri fugitives who are young like sort you know noble right aristocrats well to do who are in love but both yep. have arranged marriages to somebody else and they don't wanna they want to marry right. each other right bit of a romeo juliet situation well romeo and juliet involved a double suicide so you well know. yeah not quite to that extent. I mean, one does get stabbed. And feuding but... families. But insofar that there were two young people who wanted to get it on and the adults in their life did not want them to get on, it, it on. It on. <laughs> in that sense, it was similar. Exactly. Same thing. In that Identical. sense, it was similar. <laughs> I think it was similar to Hamlet. No. Maybe. I'm kidding. Yeah. Maybe yeah. Macbeth. <laughs> The Tempest comes to mind. Tempest. You know, I worked stage crew for my high school's performance of The Tempest. And I remember them the last show, we had to return the fog machine the next day. And so I was like, oh, great. I'll just use as much of the fog 
as I as I want as I can, and I ended up setting off the smoke alarms. <laughs> Good times. Good times, good times. Look, we need to talk about the episode, Eric. Stop <laughs> distracting us with your nonsense. We I can name more Shakespeare plays if that helps. Babylon 5. Well, you know, speaking of Shakespeare, this episode does kind of set up Malari as a potential candidate for a uh, tragic downfall. <laughs> uh, but Which one's Malari? He's the Centauri ambassador. <laughs> Wait, what? I thought that was Londo. Yeah, Malari is his family name. Londo's his first name. Oh, Jesus, Eric. <laughs> Eric, what are you doing? This is like this is like we're talking about Superman, and you're so like, oh, Kalel. Oh, Kalel's talking about like who the fuck is Kalel? What, Londo? <laughs> you, you, oh, you mean the guy we've been referring to as Londo for months yeah. now, Eric? You're gonna you're gonna yes. start calling him something different. <laughs> I agree that I have to say Londo did not, I mean, he was great in this episode, but the character didn't, like, he has three wives. He has three wives, Eric. He's out here getting honeypotted by go-go dancers and and scolding other people about falling in love. Do, Do we not remember how a few episodes ago he was falling in love with dancers yes what where does he get off telling people and then it, oh my god i was like londo <laughs> do you what what oh boy he has three wives eric he is really mean about them too i don't well, know well three arranged marriages for political purposes are what they are he does say that but still he's very calls them pestilence and famine <laughs> what was the other one i think the other one was death death something like that ay 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 what a, this guy's a mess this guy's a mess <laughs> yeah and Ivanova goes to pick up the two kids and while she's doing that she runs into her old flame oh yeah which i mean god the writers of this show need need a new bit they need a new reason for why the characters like no new characters. The the exes thing is played out. I'm gonna say it. It's played out. I don't wanna see any more exes. I don't wanna see any more old flames talking about how they used to have good times together and we've been through a lot. I don't wanna hear it. You hear you hear me, Babylon Five writers from nineteen ninety five? I don't wanna hear it anymore. Alright? <laughs> Okay, but anyway, barring that, Malcolm, you knew he was the bad guy right away. He was just kind of sleazy. Yeah, definitely very smarmy in his ways. Yeah, very, yeah, very sort of like imperious and, you know, right? He has like a British accent to make him extra imperious. Yeah, British guys are always bad guys, remember? They are. I have to say, though, this doesn't mesh with the modern uh, understanding of, of the typical xenophobic fascist though right like (laughs) but anyway fair enough he does fit in as like a bond villain-esque type dude but yeah he seems sleazy right from the get-go i thought definitely very very sleazy and i think that definitely comes to pass as he tries to make a pass at ivanova well i mean mean, successfully (laughs) i would say if it wasn't for her duties getting in the way the pass would have you know been completed i think mm-hmm. i don't know i guess like ivano seemed to like him 
and was very receptive to him being like, let's, you know, hey, I live here now. Let's get it yes. on. Which I have to say, you know, at the end then, she's like, I never knew you. And it's like, well, it didn't take that much for him to for him to start in. Like, I, I don't know. You, you didn't know him, Ivana. I think this reflects on you a little bit. You should have known him a little better than that. Like, it took one conversation for Sinclair to get, the, you know, his whole worldview out of him. Right. You used to date this guy? How'd you not know this stuff? <laughs> I have to say the the uh, people in this universe aren't very good at the relationship thing. It seems like they lack communication skills for their relationships. Yeah, I agree. Ivanova didn't know anything about her ex. Sinclair didn't communicate with Catherine or that other gal he was with that had the sheets. <laughs> yeah, the friction, the sheets. Yeah, no, I agree with you, Eric. I agree with you. It's uh, you know, a lot of lot of how not how not to interact with the people in your life lessons on this show. Right. You know, definitely don't th- threaten bloody retribution to people that you <laughs> work with on a day to day basis. Yeah, just don't do that as a as, you know as a quality of life thing. Don't do that. You know, so let's talk about all right. Sinclair goes to meet Ambassador Kosh, who we basically haven't met since the pilot. And I don't even remember what they talked about because I was too distracted by the disjointed clips of like random <laughs> things. And, you know, it's so it's been used over and over in so many things to show like, oh, they're quickly downloading information, right? Because actually downloading information doesn't look like anything. Right. You know, maybe it looks like a, a busy, a little blinking LED or something, but that's about it. So the way they visualize it is by having, you know, like Clockwork Orange style, like having you watch sort of quickly changing images. Yeah, a bunch of clips and images with absolutely no context to them. No, exactly, exactly. And this is somehow supposed to be educational. I mean, to an alien especially, like... It's not educational to humans, and we know what all those images are and have context for right. them, and it still means nothing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That was kind of silly, and the fact that he wasn't, you know, he wasn't plugged in watching it with his full attention. He was chit chatting with Commander Sinclair. Is on in the background. It's like this is how you study, Ambassador Kosh. This is how you study. I, like it's it's not a surprise that the only thing you've accomplished so far is almost getting assassinated if this is how you know this is the kind the way you conduct yourself you know when plotting people's downfall you're doing it, he's half-assing it right he's just it's on in the background he didn't pause it he didn't pause it when commander sinclair says studying what you know i think the writers thought the silence would imply oh ominous things i can't tell you I thought I'm a procrastinator. I know what that means. It, it means he wasn't studying shit. He doesn't know what he's studying. He hasn't heard a word that's been said for 20 minutes. He has no idea what topic they're on. That's what I yeah. have to say about Ambassador Kosh and his studying. And I'm doing air quotes right now, that you can't see. I wish there was a little sound for air quotes. <laughs> what do you have yeah, to say to I, that, Eric? <laughs> well, I, I think I agree. He definitely wasn't doing much in the way of studying i think the one thing that you can maybe say about this is that his species is so different from ours that maybe they understand things in an entirely different way that's the only kind of pass you can maybe give them but even then there's 
no context to any of those images or anything like that. And he's basically looking at the Cliff Notes version with half the Cliff Notes missing. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. Like, it's basically the trailer for Earth. Right. And he's only giving it a quarter of his attention as it is. Right. And it's still only the trailer. I did love when Sinclair was like, what are you doing? And he says, studying. And he says, what are you studying? (laughs) And instead of answering, his little aperture just narrows. (laughs) Take a hint, Sinclair. Get out of there. Yeah. Oh, my God. So just before then, Garibaldi arrested a suspect in the attack on Shalmayan. And it was a dock worker or something like that, basically. And it turned out to be, he's kind of a, a very racist guy, but wasn't the guy that attacked her. And this brings up the whole aspect of the Home Guard, which is this movement back on Earth, that fascist movement. And that begins that whole dialogue around fascism that starts in this episode that we see continue on into future episodes. And so this home guard guy kind of talks about what he thought, thinks about other people, but doesn't admit to actually committing the crime. So Garibaldi eventually has to release him. But in his smart kind of beat cop way, he puts a tracker on him to make sure that he knows what's going on with him because he figures that he'll be a good bait for the people that actually attacked Shalmayan, which I thought was a nice little aside to show that Garibaldi is actually somewhat competent at his job. <laughs> yeah, there was actually a little, a little bit of like proper investigation right. uh, this episode, which was nice. Yeah, that this the, I mean, it's hard to say poor guy because he's basically portrayed as being a huge, you know, a huge bigot and a jerk. So you don't really right. feel that bad for him. But this guy gets it <laughs> in this episode. <laughs> But yeah, they try. They use him basically to, you know, the 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 theory is he's so bigoted that the fascists won't be able to help him themselves, but to try to recruit him. Right. Which I just doesn't pass the sniff test, but of course it works. Like, <laughs> you know, that's if you meet someone who's really racist, and the cops are just like, okay, we're gonna. We're going to keep an eye on this guy because he's so racist. There's no chance <laughs> that some hate group isn't going to try to recruit him. Well, see, my problem with that was that they did it really obviously. Like, he went and visited him in the hospital after he got attacked. A place where you know there's going to be security, where you know there's going to be people monitoring things. And you just go in there and ask him if he wants to join the Home Guard. I mean, come on, guy. You got to be smarter than that. It's true. It's true. I, You know... One of our recent episodes, I remember we mentioned like the Black Hand, this assassins group from Skyrim. Yeah. And if you haven't played that game, they visit you in the middle of the night after you, you kill somebody. And this was, seemed like that, except instead of visiting you in the middle of the night, they visit you in like public <laughs> in the middle of the day. Yeah. You know, this highly, you know, surveilled setting and it's just like oh yeah hey what's up we're the we're the terrorists uh nice to meet you uh we'd love if you joined us yeah yeah i agree i thought that was pretty like yeah no kidding you got caught no kidding you got caught (laughs) and he didn't even like whisper to him he just like stood like three feet away from him had a a monologue at him you know like here's what we do we're the bad guys you want to join us right right and come join us the video had 
you know, his face was centered in it and clearly visible. Or maybe it wasn't. Maybe he had his back to it. I don't remember. But either way, it was like, dude, look around. Does that, you know, <laughs> just look around before you start openly talking about how you're the terrorists. Maybe see if this place that's covered in security. Like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> he wasn't acting like Babylon 5 was a place that might have a camera here or there. Yeah. Although, if we look at reality, we do find that some of these um, racist types aren't always necessarily the smartest people in the world. Oh, it's true. In fact, what I thought the most unrealistic part of this whole episode was, was Sinclair casually talking about his plans to all of his staff, just sort of assuming that they would all agree with him. It wasn't, you know, like, uh, what are the chances? Like, Ivanova, I thought, was a risky proposition to have her right. in on it. Like, it turns out she was cool. But, you know, she used to roll with this guy. She's still rolling with this guy. You know, it turns out she's just a poor judge of character. But what if, uh, <laughs> you know, anyway. Oh, you know yeah. what else was cold as ice? Is they when they showed Ivanova the footage of him giving the I am a, I'm a space Nazi uh, speech to the dude in the hospital, they brought it to her quarters. Did you catch that? Right. Yeah, I saw that. It's yeah. cold as ice. It's like where she where she lives, where she was about to get busy with the dude. They didn't like call her into the office or anything. They showed up at her front door and was like, oh, hey. Oh, hey, by the way, look at this. I don't know. I, th- I just thought that was, I guess there's no good way to reveal yeah. that somebody's partner is a space space Nazi, but. And I guess if you want to be charitable, you can say there's a bit of operational security there because maybe they don't know if there are other people on staff that could overhear them if they were doing it in the office, that sort of thing. So maybe that's what they were doing is trying to be a bit more undercover about it. You know, it's possible, but you know, I don't know. What if the dude was in the bathroom or something? You know? <laughs> Very true. I mean, he does make an appearance in the background of one of the earlier shots where they try to contact Ivanova about some work stuff when she's on a date with him. Oh, yeah. I love when they call her about work stuff and he's just like standing behind her as she's talking with her <laughs> boss. I was like, dude, dude, take a step, step out of frame. What are you yeah, doing? Get out of frame. <laughs> what are you doing, man? I don't know. Imagine, talk about awkward. Yeah, really. You have to jump on an emergency Zoom call, and your your you know <laughs> spouse is just like hovering behind you, like, "Oh hi." Yeah. Like, what? Get, get out of here! What are you doing? It's bad enough when my dog does it. She doesn't know any better. But come on. <laughs> oh my god. Well, and it turns out that's how Sinclair recognized him too. Right. He's right. like, "Oh, I know that guy." Anyway. <laughs> Listen to me giving the synopsis of this episode, just full of vivid details, painting a picture with my words. You can get lost in those words, I tell you. Close your eyes, everybody. Let me take you <laughs> to a place called Bab 5. Oh, yeah. Okay, the next the next one is when Lando talks about his wives. I don't know. I don't know. What's this, what's this dude doing out here giving a relationship advice? Calling people, <laughs> you know, naive he was falling in love with go-go dancers. Where does he get off? I think it's more the uh, the appearances part of it. In Centauri culture, he's being more of a traditionalist from that standpoint. I think he doesn't really care that they're in love, just that they need to marry off someone else for political and family reasons. They can be in love if they want to, whatever. 
but you guys gotta be adult about it. You gotta be centauri about it and take a take an L for the team and go marry that old person. Take an L for the team. Oh man, <laughs> an old wrinkly L. Yep. Well, I we, we we've already talked a little bit about that, so I won't harp on it too much. But my next note here is about Jakar and his rabble rousing, and man, yeah. oh man, was he rabble rousing! <laughs> like, that's what you know. He seemed sincere, but I have to think that he just was having the time of his life. He saw something. He loves rabble rousing. Yeah. Uh, and he was a natural at it, I have to say. Yep, yep, he definitely was. And it's interesting that Sinclair is once again in the middle of everything and has to be pulled out of it by Garibaldi. Garibaldi is telling him, get out of here. You're in charge. You need to go do something else. Let me run my job here. Oh, yeah, Sinclair is in it this episode. And once again, once again, doesn't bat an eyelash at just like lying through his teeth, basically yep. going undercover. Sinclair goes undercover in some capacity a lot a lot probably way more than is appropriate for someone yeah like him i don't know i don't know yeah he well actually so this is oh 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 before before we jump to the party when ivanova comes in after being on her date garibaldi comments on her looks and she tells him off and i was here for it garibaldi yeah, always totally. has some sly ass shit to say to the ladies I don't know. That's that's some 1995 shit. That it seems a little sexist from where worse yeah. than where I'm standing now. He always has something to say. And Ivanova stood up and was like, "Put him in this place, which is good." Oh yeah, no, I loved it. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. I was here for it. What's next? Okay, so we find out Malcolm is the secret space Nazi. Oh, that sh- that scene where 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 Londo is talking about my shoes are too tight and I've forgotten how to dance. I that wasn't my favorite Londo scene. <laughs> I don't know. He always has like these very melancholic, kind of bittersweet. Ah, we're getting old and our bones are frail. But remember when we were young? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's all the stuff he has to say. Or you know, oh, we used to be the something something of the galaxy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, very sort of like decaying, uh, decaying splendor kind of vibes with with the Centauri. Yeah. He's a nostalgic traditionalist and wants to live in the past. I think a few of us know people that when we were growing up that were very much like that. I don't think I know anyone like that. <laughs> Maybe my grandparents before they passed. But all right, anyway, I yeah, that scene a little a little drawn out for my taste. But we we get then to this party and Sinclair's plan to infiltrate. By the way, his plan is to somehow infiltrate the fascists. And the way he's going to do that is to be audibly bigoted. Well, no, not audibly bigoted. Just very dismissive of an alien at, a, at this party. And he's going to be loudly dismissive of her. And then he's going to talk with Malcolm, who Ivanova introduces to him, and just sort of act like a bigot and right. assume that he'll be recruited. Which, okay. The logic of the plan is fine, but my but he's at a party being loudly bigoted. What, what <laughs> people are going to overhear him, right? People are like, yeah. I have to wonder if they sent out a memo afterwards and were like, just so you guys know, everything that was said there was said as part of an investigation. We didn't actually mean any of that. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, 
Imagine if you're like a holiday party and your CEO is just, you know, over there being being like loudly racist. <laughs> He's like, oh, no, 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 it's fine. I'm just I'm just pretending to be racist so I can like infiltrate the it's like, I don't know. I don't know. Commander Sinclair, shockingly often his plan boils down to it's fine. I'm going to lie through my teeth to somebody and then when I get what I want that'll be the end of it and no, nothing bad will ever happen because of this like he's lied through his teeth to jakar before you, yep. you got to imagine that burns a lot of credibility although it doesn't really you know <laughs> you know what else you, you know i'm jumping around because my notes follow the scenes and the scenes jump around but my next note is centauri hair is just too much and it is it is just too much it's hard to take these serious heartfelt scenes where they're lamenting the past and whatever, talking about love and and their hair is just like flapping around. <laughs> you know, they have the women are bald, and you know, I think right. that was a great choice. And the the young w- woman in this episode is you know a smoke machine anyway. <laughs> but all the dudes just have, you know, this what would you call it? How would you describe it? Semicircle disc hairdo where it's like sticking straight out that meme of the ancient aliens guy oh yeah it says you know it's basically the same as that guy's hair just with a little bit more baldness involved that's a a great description yes and it's it's nonsense like (laughs) it has a ton of gel in it but every time londo especially moves his head v or two to a little extent it kind of flaps around a little bit yeah and it's just so hard to (laughs) the suspension of disbelief as you're listening and give these heartfelt you know speeches monologues uh it's just so hard to ignore there (laughs) i i kind of get the impression that the centauri not just with their hair but with the way they dress are kind of like the peacocks of the galaxy yeah i think they gotta dress up all the time and yeah they just very fancy and, and frilly with all these things that they wear and things that they yeah their appearance is very much everything. I think yeah, that's a I agree with that. I think that's a good description. Yeah. That being said, I think they do improve a little bit on the hair in the upcoming seasons. They they make it a bit more manageable. I mean, it's still big, but it doesn't flop around as much, if I recall correctly. I mean, that's good. That's good. It's yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> Definitely, definitely. Uh, and I have to say, like, like the Narn are the least alien-looking aliens. Like, the, they had to make the hair crazy because otherwise, the Narn, even with the hair, honestly, they're just humans. They just have the Centauri. You mean. I'm sorry, the Centauri. They're just humans. Like, they have big foreheads yeah. and goofy hair, but they they look exactly like humans. Yeah, and they they play on that a little bit, like they did in I think the first or second episode where they were like. Oh yeah, we just look alike, but we're actually nothing alike underneath the skin. It is convergent evolution, basically. Oh yeah, yeah, we don't have veins in our hands. Yeah, uh, that kind of stuff. So they do, they do recognize that as a a bit of a cop out, though. <laughs> well, the you know the alternative is giving everyone crazy makeup, and I can right. also see why that would get old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, so the the next uh, sort of big piece of plot arc is that 
the deception works and Sinclair is invited to a, you know, a little get together, a midnight initiation ceremony uh, where he meets Malcolm, the space Nazi and his gang of invisible, you know, invisible other (laughs) fascists and, uh, and unsurprisingly, I mean, I saw this coming a mile away. They were like, Oh, Hey, to prove you're legit, you need to kill this alien. And Sinclair doesn't kill the alien. In fact, uh, Garibaldi and their team are stationed on the other side of Babylon 5, I think, uh, from this whole thing, so that after something goes south, it takes them like a whole day and a half to get over. You know, (laughs) when police set up these things, they're, they're like a room over. They're like 20 feet away from... But no, no, Garibaldi here set up several crowded hallways away from the action. I think action. he was in his office. Yeah. Looking at the monitor. Yeah, I think he, yeah, feet up. <laughs> no, no sign of urgency. But anyway, so, so Sinclair is told to prove your loyalty, you need to kill this alien. And uh, instead of doing that, he punches Malcolm and grabs the gun and sort of dives behind a box and you know starts exchanging fire with the space nazis and i had two thoughts here my first thought was oh 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 sorry one piece relevant plot that we hadn't mentioned is the space nazis all have like personal cloaking devices that make them invisible okay great those are very useful you know what they didn't use they didn't, they didn't use their. Those. They didn't use them. They were in a firefight. That would have been a perfect time to turn invisible. Not a single one of. They all just let themselves get shot. Guys, you can turn invisible. Come on. Although, that being said, I remember. I seem to remember playing a game of D anD D and my character being invisible, and he was still killed. For some reason, the DM just killed him anyways. I don't. I don't understand what happened. Yeah, so that was a. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm trying to decide if I want to defend myself here on this podcast. <laughs> but you're right. You're right. The bad guy was was able to see you even though you turned invisible. So who says that Sinclair couldn't see him even if they turned invisible? You don't know that. It's true. Maybe he had anti invisibility glasses. Maybe Sinclair's uh, necrochromic. What what word am I saying? (laughs) Necronomicon? Is that it? My wife is feeding my dog in the background. (laughs) Great, great timing, baby. Sorry, he's hungry. Dude, I think we're going to win a podcasting award this year. What do you think? Oh, yeah. Most e- definitely. I excellence think we're in the field. You guys yeah. the best. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, so that was my first thought, is why aren't they turning invisible? My second thought was he did not pay no mind to whatsoever to that hostage. He didn't. He didn't yeah. say sorry. He didn't say anything to her. Even after the fact, we never see him follow up with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, you know, as far as he's concerned, she is as she's just another box in this you know <laughs> warehouse out there, and he doesn't give a, he doesn't give a shit about her. 
yeah. yeah. So I, I just noticed his extreme callousness towards this <laughs> innocent woman who was just seconds ago begging him for her life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, so, sorry guys. I, again, that's my dog. Uh, Eric, maybe you want to edit this bit. Maybe you want to leave it in. I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. Peek behind see. the curtain here. Oh, God. You done? <laughs> no problem. No problem. Guys, I wish you could see him. He's such a cute dog. He's so cute. He's half mini blue healer, half black lab. He's a total cuddle bug. It was a fight to, to get him to stop jumping in the bed. Get him to use his own bed. Alright, he's done drinking. I'll I'll leave it to Eric's discretion if he wants to leave in the, the <laughs> minute and a half of my dog drinking water. Okay, so Garibaldi, having run through just under, I would say, a thousand crowded hallways to get to the action where this firefight was happening, arrives just in time for everything to already be done. He arrives in time to be useless. He's incredibly sweaty. He's incredibly sweaty. He's been running for a while. Yeah. Man a break. I know. He's been running forever. I <laughs> I just thought it was funny that he, he was sweating an amount that was appropriate to... To me, giving him shit for running across the whole station. He was well. In other sci-fi shows, the guy would show up perfectly clean with no sweat. He'd be just like normal after running for five miles. Not not this one. This one is realistic. Let me tell you. Yeah, sweating is part of it. Realistic. No, exactly. <laughs> remember when someone Sinclair Garibaldi, the doctor, I don't remember who, got shot with an energy beam that just disintegrated three people and they just had that little like hey sinclair had body armor on and you know that body armor is is very tough stuff you know i love it look i grew up on you know dragon ball z and stuff you know i can definitely appreciate the oh oh you just were in a nuclear blast well you better show some scuff marks on your cheek (laughs) just to let people know yeah it especially made Plot body armor tends to be very strong in these situations, I find. Yeah, totally. Well, so anyway, the the space fascists were caught, at least this cell of them. They definitely implied that they, you know, that they were everywhere and all over the place. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you know, again, like you said, maybe the most unrealistic part of these future space fascists is that they're so secretive about it. If they yep. really did have friends everywhere, all over the place, you'd think they'd sound a little more like our current fascists and, uh, you know, be, be sort of very politically active and, you know, loud and proud. But Well, I think this is like a lead up to those sorts of things. Occurring, sure. Right? Okay. This is simply a taster for what's yet to come in the series. Well, I'm into it. I think I think it's a great a great uh, uh, theme to play off of. Yeah, I thought this was a pretty solid episode as far as I was concerned. That was a great episode. Like Garibaldi in it. Liked Ivanova in it. I don't know who my favorite would be, if that's what you're about yeah. to ask me. Yeah, who is your favorite? Was it one of the uh, the Centauri 
lovers that was together. Well, they were fine. They only had like two <laughs> lines each. Maybe Veer. Yeah. Veer, Veer, Londo's sidekick. You know, he was the voice of reason in that in the B plot. Uh, he made impassioned pleas on their behalf. He was a real. Yeah. He was a real one this episode. He was a mensch. He was a good one. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Veer. Veer with yet another. Oh, is this his second? Name. Oh wow! I, I think, think so, Veer's yeah. gonna take it home. Yeah, he's gonna steal the show. And this is starts to establish Veer as like the good angel on Malari's shoulder. Londo, for those of you that don't know him by Malari. Malari. <laughs> Malari. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, Merry Christmas, everyone, <laughs> and Happy New Year, probably. By Happy the time New Year. You listen to this. <laughs> yeah, this will probably be after New Year that this comes out. We'll see. Happy <laughs> Easter, maybe, if Eric gets lazy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, boy. So the next episode we'll be looking at is And the Sky Full of Stars, where I think, if I remember correctly, that one, they dive into some of Sinclair's background. Uh, for that episode so that will be an interesting look at that for our next episode i can't wait i can't wait all right well thank you for listening as always we have been the podcasting guild babylon 5 i'm eric signing off and a good eating to you all and a good eating to you <laughs>